All right, whole thing we've been talking about is connected. It doesn't really work, does it? Connected, disconnected. And what does that mean? I don't even like that word being up there, disconnected. It just sounds negative. But that's what we've been talking about over the last few weeks is how to be connected. First off, being connected to God. Secondly, being connected to each other. Thirdly, being connected to your family. Fourth, being connected to the body of Christ. All these things are key parts of your connection to the Lord. It's not just your one-on-one time with God. It's also your connecting to each other, connecting to the body, connecting to your family. God places the lonely in families. So we've been talking starting last week is, do you ever get disconnected? You can be disconnected from God. Have you ever had your phone called to drop? I give everybody the hardest time that has AT&T. I was at a, um, I was at a, a cross-country run in Macon County out in Lafayette, and AT&T customers didn't have any service, and Verizon customers did. And I'm like, you know, it's a sign of you know, good people and bad people. Uh, but you can be in places in your life where there is no connection or you think there is no connection. Jesus Christ hanging on the cross lost connection because of the sin that was placed on him. There was a time when the sin of the world was placed on Jesus Christ on the cross. And Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Father God allowed Jesus to take the sin of the world on him so that we could be forgiven. We can be disconnected. Last week we started looking at how we can be disconnected. And let me just tell you, I'm only given basically two ways of being disconnected. There are billions of ways to get disconnected. But a big one is our sin. Just like when Jesus was identified with sin, there was a break in communication. We saw last week, Isaiah 59 says, But your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. That's what sin does. And so many times we walk around with covered up sin. Or we've tried to push it down. Or maybe we don't even know we did it. How many of you know you can do things wrong and not know they were wrong? But are they still wrong? I saw a quote again on Instagram this week that as long as you don't get caught, it's not wrong. Well, that's wrong. There is no getting caught and not getting caught. In God, he knows it all. So you're going to pay the piper at some point. Have you ever heard that expression? Got to pay the piper? Anyway, hang in there with me. Sin separates us from God. Today, I want to talk to you about idols. Idols in your life. Things that have become in place of where God should be. A.W. Tozer says that idolatry is simply worship directed in any direction, worship directed in any direction but God's, which is the epitome of blasphemy. We all worship something or someone that comes for better or for worse, that becomes a driving force in our lives. The question is, are we worshiping the one true God or some sorry substitute? 
And let me just say, uh, idols aren't necessarily bad in and of themselves. Many of our counterfeit gods are actually good things, which is why we can somehow legitimately place our hopes and dreams on them. But the best things in this world can never replace God. Sin, therefore, is not just a matter of doing bad things or breaking God's rules. It's allowing sometimes a good thing to become an ultimate thing and therefore taking the place of God in our lives. Idolatry is an insult to God. One of the things that we can easily see that can be an idol is money. But let me just say, money is not bad. The love of money is bad. Who here needs money? Money is not bad. Money has been in existence from almost day one. It's not bad. The love of money, where we place money in our lives, where money gets in our heads and in our hearts is where it goes bad. So can you see, good things, good things can be used inappropriately. So, idolatry is an insult to God. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 14 says this, You shall have no other gods, for the Lord your God is in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroyed you from off the face of the earth. There shall be no other gods. Only God gets to serve in that place in our lives. Anytime else it is not God, then it, we are wrong. It is wrong. And the Bible is adamant that God alone is worthy of our praise and adoration. Psalm chapter 81 says, There shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow, you shall not, did I get that wrong? I did. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God. It's funny, I usually copy and paste from Scripture, all the other stuff I type in myself, but I don't know what went wrong there. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God. Meaning you shall bow down to me, God, not to anything else. Believers cannot tolerate idolatry, no matter how subtle or innocuous it may seem. Nothing can take, should take the place of God in our lives. Unfortunately, idols can be so deceptive. Idols can disrupt rational thinking, distort our feelings, and render us blind to reality. You and I, who most of the time thinks we know everything can be blind to the most obvious things. Everybody say amen. amen. Someone once said, if you think you can't be deceived, you're already there. If you're walking around feeling like Satan cannot find his way in at all through deception, then you need to get your guard back up. Because we can, even the best men and women in this world have been deceived. We have all been led on the wrong, uh, down the wrong path at some point. They disrupt us. Idols brainwash us. 
brainwash us into, think, into thinking that we absolutely need them, whatever the cost. That's why so many times we go after a bigger house, a new car, more clothes. Idols try to tell us that we're missing out unless we partake. We become convinced that we have to look at that pornographic website, that we have to go to that party, that we have to give, get more money, or that we have to give in to a boyfriend's demand for sex. Even we may be persuaded that we have certain means, we may even be persuaded we have certain means that justify wrong behavior. Do you know that we can sometimes justify our sin? We can really come up with ways that it looks like it's okay. That is a very scary thing. This is to believers, church. This is to believers. Idols tend to establish morality on their own terms. Idols tend to establish reality on their own terms, making it possible to call evil good and good evil. The truth is we don't need those things that we're addicted to or think that we have to have. I want you to know they are worthless. Now, we're, I'm going to read a pretty lengthy scripture, and I want to just ask you, please hang in there. This is so interesting. Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6. Maki, will you help me out here, and I'm just going to read. Verse 6. This is what the Lord says. Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord of heaven's army. Quote, I am the first and the last. There is no other God. Who is like me? Let him step forward and prove to you his power. Let him do as I have done since ancient times when I established a people and explained its future. Do not tremble, do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim my purpose for you long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any other God? No, there is no other rock, not one. Verse 9. How foolish are those who manufacture idols. These prized objects are really worthless. The people who worship idols don't know this, so they are all put to shame. Who but a fool would make his own God an idol that cannot help him one bit? Now, as we go through this, he is, he is painting a picture. Don't, don't just go numb to this word. He is painting a picture. See if, you can, see if the picture starts to come into focus as he goes. He start, I feel like he's starting to draw, draw on a canvas, and all of a sudden you're going to start to see this whole, piece, this whole masterpiece come together with what he's saying right here. What verse am I on? Um, 11? 10? Who would but a fool make his own God an idol that cannot help him one bit? All who worship idols will be disgraced along with all these craftsmen, mere humans, who claim they can make a God. They may all stand together, but they will stand in terror and shame. Verse 12. The blacksmith stands at his forge to make a sharp tool, pounding and shaping it with all his might. His work makes him hungry and weak. It makes him thirsty and faint. Then the woodcarver measures a block of wood and draws a pattern on it. He works with chisel and plane and carves it into human figure, into a human figure. He gives it human beauty and puts it in a little shrine. He cuts down cedars, he selects the cypress and the oak, he plants the pine in the forest to be nourished by the rain. Verse 15. 
you can kind of see as he's working. Then he uses a part of the wood to make a fire. With it, he warms himself and bakes his bread. Then, yes, it's true, he takes the rest of it and makes himself a god to worship. He makes an idol and bows down in front of it. He burns part of of the tree to roast his meat and keep himself warm. He says, oh, that fire feels good. Then he takes what's left and he makes a god, a carved idol. He falls down in front of it, worshiping and praying to it. Rescue me, he says. You are my god. Verse 18, such stupidity and ignorance. Their eyes are closed, they cannot see. Their minds are shut, they cannot think. The person who made the idol never stops to reflect. Why, it's just a block of wood. I burned half of it for heat, and I used the other half for bread and to roast my meat. How can the rest of it be a god? Should I bow down and worship a piece of wood? The poor deluded fool feeds on ashes. He trusts something that can't help him at all. Yet he cannot bring himself to ask, is this idol that I'm holding in my hand a lie? These things are worthless. They have no ability to get you out of what you're going through. They have no ability to save. They have no ability to rescue you from your sin. They have no ability of giving you that power to come out of hell in your marriage, to come out of hell in your finances, to overcome anything. This piece of wood, it'd be no different than me taking this mic stand and just deciding, okay, this is just going to be my God. I'm going to start worshiping this thing. Oh, mic stand, rescue my marriage. Rescue my marriage. Here, I can do this with you. Rescue my marriage. Oh, rescue my marriage. How dumb is that? Your money can't rescue your marriage. Your addiction that you're able to escape reality for a moment can't rescue your family. That thing that's got you, that thing that's got you can't do it. Um, I loved the song that we sang again this morning. It's like I don't pay attention to anything that's going on. I mean, I'm up here worshiping every single week, but it's like the Lord's saying, okay, you're not paying attention. Look here, I'm caught in your freedom. That's such a play on words. Being caught in freedom. When, when I allow God to be that place in my life that I bow down and worship and expect Him to come through for me, that I really give my whole heart to Him, do you know what happens? I do get caught in His goodness. I get caught in His peace. I get caught in His power. I get caught in His favor. I get caught in his timing. When, when this thing, when I get one of those, and I get God where he is supposed to be, all of a sudden, I have the answer. I'm caught in your freedom. 
I'm caught in your freedom. Psalm 96 verse 5 says, For all the gods of people are worthless idols. When we sin, what we're really missing out on is what God really has for us. In Jonah chapter 2 verse 8, he says, Though who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. When something takes the place of God in our life, we forsake the hope of steadfast love. Kind of feel like the Holy Spirit just moving in my heart right now. We come in here and we genuinely give our heart to the Lord. We come in here and we really can say, yes, I've, I've forsaken everything. I've given my heart to Jesus and he's the Lord of my life and I'm going to worship him. But when you go away from him, is he still that God in your life? Or does something replace it? Now, I'm trying to talk real. I'm trying to say when we check out and we go home, it's Labor Day weekend. Great weekend for having a lot of fun. But who is God on Labor Day? Doesn't mean we can't have fun. I'm going to watch the UT football game. But it has no power over me to rescue me from hell. But I love it. I love football. But it can't rescue me. I'm going to give my dad a hard time for just a second. Where are you, by the way? Someone asked him last night, are you having a good day? And he said, yeah, as long as the Braves win tonight. <laughs> and you know, it just made me think, and this, this is not him. I'm not trying to say that that's him at all. But a ball game is not going to dictate happiness in my life. As much as I want a team to win, um, I want God to win in my life. I want to win in God. That's a real win. That's a real win. But when you go home, Sunday morning we put God up there. Wednesday night we put God up there. When hell hits and we're just on, we're about to fall apart, we put God up there. All the other times, what's gone up there? We don't even realize it. Satan is so subtle that we don't even realize a shift has taken place and all of a sudden God's not there anymore. What is? Every time we run to other gods, we forfeit the grace that we would have had. God confronted David about Bathsheba and he reminded David about all the blessings that God had given him, but also what David missed. It says in 2 Samuel verse 12, chapter 12 verse 8, and if this were too little, I would add to you much more. It just drives me, it just kills me uh, to think about what my sin and what my actions have costed me. Have you ever had an investment that you got out of too soon? And you just watch it continue to go up and you just think, man, or I knew I should have gotten in on that earlier. Man. You know, there's so many times that what I've walked through has costed me. Costed me in relationship, costed me in my money, costed me in my future. Now, praise God, God is a redeemer. But there are still consequences to your sin. I want to win. Idols promise to satisfy, 
but always deliver nothing but heartache and pain. Psalm 16.4 says, The sorrows of those who run after other gods shall multiply. Idols falsely claim to be harmless, but they are most assuredly not. We've all witnessed the consequences of bad moral choices, either in our own lives or in others' lives. But Psalm 106.36 says, They served their idols, which became a snare to them. Psalm 31.10, this is David, For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. Remember, the wages of sin is death. And placing idols in place of God is sin. Can you put back up the, I think it was two scriptures ago, about running after. Where was it? That. Psalm 16.4. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. And I want to tell y'all, you know, one way that I've always just personally checked myself to see if I have a problem with idols, um, because I have had um, kind of some struggles, is what am I thinking about all the time? Like, what's driving me? What am I chasing after? And um, back when um, Paul and I were newly married, and I was in college, Actually, we were probably both. Well, no, you were probably graduated by then. I was probably still finishing college. And I had always been, this is like about weight, okay? So just bear with me. But I had always been a real thin girl, like in high school. And then when I went to college I, and, and we had gotten married, I had slapped on probably 15 or 20 pounds. And um, what happened to me, what I realized, and I didn't even realize it was going on, but I became kind of obsessed, for lack of a better word, about food and what I was eating and like I knew the right things to do. I had a lot of nutritional information from my education and I knew the choices that I should be making, but I would think about it all the time. Think about it all the time. What am I going to eat? I would go to bed at night thinking, what did I eat? Assessing what I ate, what I would eat the next day because I wanted to get my weight under control. And for whatever reason, I was just failing miserably at it. And, you know, the Lord really set me free from that. I was actually trying to minister to another person. Isn't it funny how God does that? Like, you think you're going to help somebody, and then really he's going to, like, show you where you're, where you're wrong. And I remember that he showed me, it was through a little teaching tape that I was listening to. He was, um, the guy who was preaching, it was Derek Prince, and he was teaching on the fruits of the Holy Spirit and how self-control was a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And he even gave the analogy of people struggling with weight. And he, he said, do you know that self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit? And I thought, well, I have that. I know the Holy Spirit. You know, he resides in me. He is with me. He never leaves me or forsakes me. And I'm telling you, it was from that point forward, it was like a miracle had happened in my life. Because I stopped 
thinking about food. And I can tell you, over the course of like six months, it was not a, it was not a fast weight loss, but it was 15 pounds later, I was sitting in a nutrition class at TTU, and we were practicing like that we were the person who needed help because they were trying to, like if you have a patient who has diabetes or you know, somebody who has a heart problem. So we were having to like assess our eating. And I remember I was keeping a food diary and I could see that my resting rate, that um, BMI, like I was burning more, more calories than what I was taking in. When I had a list and do that food diary and then do my activity level, and it was like I wasn't even thinking about it. God just set me free. And looking back on that, I saw that that was an idol for me. Now, I may be stepping on some toes talking about food being an idol, but you know what? When it's all I was thinking about, it was for me. And you know, that happened to me again with money. And I didn't know that it was happening. But we had gone through a really rocky time in our marriage, in our personal finances, where we didn't have any money. I mean, we didn't have any money. And we were like barely making it. And I remember realizing how much money had made me comfortable. I didn't even know it was a problem until I didn't have it. And I can remember like standing in the grocery store and not being able to buy all the things that we needed and making another list. Okay, I'll get this this time and this next time. And like wanting to just break down in tears in the bacon aisle because what I couldn't get. And, you know, I felt like God really showed me. I was, I, money made me feel good. Going shopping made me feel good. It made me feel good. And it had become an idol in my life that I didn't even know. So, I mean, goodness gracious, I'm talking like real personal stuff here, weight and money. But you know what? It was a big deal. And so I just want to ask you, is there something that's like pressing you? What was that scripture again? Um, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. You know, what are you chasing after? And I can tell you, I'm not serving money. I'm not going to serve the scale either. Like, I'm not serving it. It just causes heartache in my life. And that's a pretty big statement to make, but I think sometimes it's little things. It's like very little things that sneak in you don't even realize you're doing it. I didn't know I was doing it. So... That's my story. That was like really heavy, wasn't it? It was good. It was good. Sorry. Heavy. Yeah. <laughs> that was a nice play on words. It was heavy. So, it leads me right into where we are. How do we identify what are the idols in our lives? How do I know? So many times you can identify quickly by some unhealthy attraction some self-destructive behavior, or some sin that's a driving force in your life, and you feel out of control, indulging beyond what you know is right, doing the things that you really don't want to do or that you later regret. But sometimes things are hidden. Or maybe you find yourself gripped with an addiction or some wild, wicked obsession. So let's look at just a couple questions, and I'm, I'm going to wrap this up for this morning. Number one, what do you think most about? When you're by yourself, when you're at work, when you're at home, what are you thinking about? 
an idol dominates your mind or controls your behavior more than the Holy Spirit does. What do you daydream and fantasize about? Number two, how do you spend your money? Where does your money go? Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Number three, what sets you off emotionally? What makes you uncontrollably angry? Now, don't think about what makes your spouse uncontrollably angry. We're all good at pointing out each other's issues. Let's point out our own. What makes you angry? What do you fear the most? What are you anxious about? What keeps you awake at knife? At knife, at night. Counterfeit gods constantly stir up negative emotions. Did you hear that? Counterfeit gods stir up negative emotions. Four, what brings you peace, joy, security, fulfillment? And finally, how do you react when something is taken away? You can tell whether something's an idol or not by how you respond if it's removed. Even the threat of losing it causes you problems. If you're devastated and paralyzed, convinced that you cannot go on without it, or if you've been bitterly turned away from God, more than likely it is an idol in your life. Jesus wants all of us, and He calls us to be wholehearted, uncompromising, lifelong, and and having a life-altering commitment to Him. Jesus doesn't want you to try to fit Him into your agenda. The Christian life doesn't allow for Jesus and your porn habit. The Christian life does not allow for Jesus and your greed or your selfish desires. Your relationship to Him does not have a place for you being dominated by money. Christ deserves to be at the top of the list, the center of our life, first place in all things. Are there any idols? Habitual sins, bad habits, standing between your commitment to Christ. Are you ready to tell Him? He already knows. Last week we had such a powerful move of God over repentance that we just wrote down some things on our little on the little offering, um, the offering cards that are in your uh, uh, pew. I just want to encourage you. Would you be willing to write one down this morning and lay it down here on the front? I don't know if you know it, but we burned them right up here on the stage before y'all left. I didn't even know Justin had done it. But we're going to burn them. You know, let me say one other thing about idols. 
Idols typically are right in your face. These things are put up on high places. You walk by them all the time and you can't wait to see them. Normally, these aren't hidden things. These are things that can be easily identified. You go and look at the children of Israel. You go and look at the people back in the time of the Old Testament. They would build shrines. These things would be there. And then these kings would come in and would serve God and go tear them down. And then the next king would come in and they'd build them back up. The thing is, as Christians, we do that. We tear them down, and then we slack a little bit. Next thing you know, we've built it back up. We didn't intentionally do this. Hey, I'm going to go build an idol in my life. No, Satan is deceiving enough to help us to build it. And next thing you know, there it is and didn't even know it was there. But are there any things in your heart right now that you could say, yes, let me jot down and let's burn those this morning. Next week, we're going to go into how to get rid of these idols out of your life. Today, we're just identifying them. But can we start right in your heart? What, what has a grip on you that needs to be released? You can do this just by yourself. You don't have to do this by walking this up. But you do have to do it. You have to tear it down. You have to tear it down. Can we tear down some idols this morning? Amen. Let's stand up. Father, in Jesus' name, identify what's wrong in our hearts, what's wrong in our lives, what's wrong in our walk. I thank you, Lord, that you said that you would lead us and guide us into all truth. That means you're not just going to show us truth, but you're going to show us what's false. What have we built up in our hearts, Lord? What needs to be tore down? You may be here today and you may need to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never made that first step. Would you take that step? It says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But if, the, if you'll believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. This morning, I just ask you, if you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, step out this morning and let us pray with you. It says that if you will just call upon the name of the Lord you will be saved. Right where you sit, just call on Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. He is going to save you right here, right now. Maybe you need prayer. Maybe you need breakthrough. What is it that you need? We come to a God as people in need. God knows we're needy, and He wants to meet our need. But we've got to come to Him. Would y'all step out this morning? Move in faith and allow the Lord to move in your life. Those that are praying, come on down. As we sing, I just pray for a mighty move of God this morning up here at this altar. In Jesus' name, amen.